and opinions expressed on the Hard Time Podcast are of the hosts and guests individually. The Hard Time Podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. Human beings have thoughts and feelings that do not necessarily affect the professional performance of their duties. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. An inmate attacked a correctional officer in St. Louis County this week after he refused to go back to his cell. This is what we have to deal with, inmates like that. Everybody has an opinion to know about what goes on and stuff in here, but not times out of ten, if anybody that has anything negative to say about a correctional officer, he never even been in the facility, never been inside of the jail. They have 24-7 to sit there and come up ways to outsmart so they always want to try, but we've got to be proactive. Still remain professional and, and do a job. Officers being praised for their quick actions. Lake County Sheriff uh, says, quote, they are heroes in my books. Regular day at the office.
Uh, if you're listening to this, I have a special invite, particularly if you are a correctional officer. I think next week, which would be many weeks in the future for you, or maybe a week in the past even. I don't know. Maybe there's no point in putting this out there. But uh, if you're a correctional officer and you're listening to this and you want to be a part of the show, we're uh, thinking about doing an episode coming up where we uh, download and watch these uh, inmates giving their... Um, what would you call them, Jake? Uh, personal ads? Their video testimonies of who they are inside prison? Um, basically, yeah, like, inmates are like getting, putting out these videos of, of who they are looking for pen pals. Is that is that right? Yeah, pen pals or uh, somebody they can... Give uh, them commissary money? Yeah, like online dating. It's really yeah, predatory way of getting commissary money, basically. And uh, the state is all in, obviously. Because uh, the state sort of indirectly benefits if uh, they get commissary money, then you know, then money goes to whoever it is their commissary provider, and that strengthens the the contract between the state and the commissary provider. It's all very sickening. Anyway, <laughs> Jake, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Getting getting almost done with days off here, ready and raring to go back. Uh, got to disarm somebody last week without breaking their hand. That was fun. And then tell, use my tell daddy me about it. You got to, you got to, you can't just say like, yeah, I did the super cool thing. You have to, you have to well, say what it is. No sighing. That's a new dictum on this podcast. They, they Sighing's have, allowed. I'm going to sigh my ass off. Go ahead. <laughs> they have uh, a lot of different, um, right now we have a lot of really high needs people. And one in particular, I mean, we have a 20 year sergeant that's like ready to quit over dealing with this person. And uh, another one is, I don't know, 13, 14 years in. So almost twice the experience that I have. And that, you know, because of where they are in their career, they're just over it. They're just like, come on, like this is getting a little ridiculous. So I was escorting him from one area to another. And there's a very large file cabinet there. I don't know what it's there. Somebody put it there for the convenience of someone else. And I'm constantly like wargaming, like get rid of this, get rid of that. They don't need this. They don't need that for programming. Why the fuck would you give them something large and metal? And uh, grab the, you know how they have the bars that, you know, hanging files go on? Yeah. This is the most robust bar that I've ever seen. I mean, it would probably support my weight. And uh, it came out of the filing cabinet and he started swinging it around. So. It's amazing the way that they can say, look at something like that and think I can get a weapon out of there. Yeah. So um, I was able to disarm him without breaking anything, get him secured, and uh, then started moving uh, all the furniture out of this area because that's now I'm, I'm like the fucking U-Haul guy, moving all the furniture out of this area that he has to walk through every day, multiple times a day. And one of the officers comes by and they're like, what are you doing? Like, like that, that's really heavy. Why are you trying to move that by yourself? It's like, well, I just had to disarm so-and-so. So like, well, I didn't hear it on the radio. I'm like, that's because I don't need all of you in here. Just like escalating the shit out of this situation. So basically he had locked us in this one door. I didn't even know it locked. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're locked into a small area and I, took care of it and then moved him after he was right. calm. And it's like, they were like, I didn't hear a call for help. I'm like, that's cause I don't need your help because your help's not very helpful. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, that that's uh, a way of putting people in their place. I can recall 
officers where it's just like, uh, you know, and it's funny because our a lot of our, our police culture right now, it's very backup heavy. Like, you know, then the criticism is, well, you know, you didn't have to do this. You could have waited for backup. And I guess what I'm, what I'm seeing in my dispatch experience is a lot of uh, people who uh, won't do anything without backup. They're on a, they're on a basic traffic stop. Mm. And I don't want to discount like the danger police officers go through. It's not my job. It's kind of the opposite of that, but um, right. just, you know, where's the warrior mentality at where you're here and you're going to, you're going to do it yourself. You know, it's, if you have to call and wait for everything, um, yeah, you know, we have you're, you're not you're not doing it on your own, you know. Yeah, I work with a couple different agencies here and I know some of the guys outside of work, guys and gals that work for various agencies and it's like the the larger town very very backup heavy. That's that's their thing. And the um, smaller towns, they all all the agencies kind of work together. So if they know it's a domestic thing or there's something going on, they can kind of um, get a hold of who's on shift and they can go together. Or if something goes sideways, they can come and help each other out, um, which is good when it's needed. Um, and then we have the sheriff's department and the sheriff's department are more like, Hey, like, this is your job. Go take care of it. If you need a second deputy, that's fine. If you do need help and it's like shit goes sideways, we'll help you, but do your fucking job. <laughs> So uh, that was the agency um, a while, many years back, I actually uh, tried out for because I was like, I, I like the idea of being a little bit more independent when possible. Yeah. And I, I still do that at work. I mean, like I said, I don't need other people chiming in to make the situation worse. And I can physically control one person very easily. So it's it's not helpful for me to get more moving pieces involved because then i have to de-escalate the officer sometimes and it's like shut the fuck up yeah i hate it when when the wrong person shows up when you when you are in a situation where you do want someone else and then uh just there's an officer that comes around the corner and you're just like i could have handled this without you just as easily um mm -hmm. you're you're just gasoline on this particular fire that's frustrating i i get you on that um yeah, and then I had another officer that, again, was just not de-escalating a situation and pissed somebody off. And the, it's the kind of person that likes to wait until something happens, and then they're not able to physically intervene. Like, I yeah. don't know how many times I've seen tape of this person not be able to control, you know, a child, essentially. And it's like, then why the fuck are you escalating the shit out of everything? So I went up there, and told him what to do. I don't really like to, um, like I said, undermine people. We talked about that on our last episode. Um, undermining officers is a very dangerous thing to do as a practice. But I just told him, I said, all right, this, this is what's happening. And I went and I used my daddy voice on the kid and told him to quit giving the officer a hard time and just basically yelled at everybody because I had no patience left at that point. And then... The rest of the night went great. That's that's good. I was glad you were able to, uh, you know, get people to calm down and kind of get the rest of your shift back in line. Not undermining officers is um, was one of my main goals when I became a sergeant because we had uh, sergeants that would do that. 
and uh, basically what happens is is you get into a situation where it's almost like mom and dad type politics um where if mom says no dad says yes so if you're an officer and you're in control of a situation um you say no and they're like whatever i'm gonna go talk to the officer in charge i literally had this happen once i'm in the shower room i can't leave the shower room the inmates all know this i have a partner with me there's another officer we both are we're both hard asses about the policy that we're supposed to be it was something dumb like one in one towel per inmate right it's just a basic everyday rule that everyone follows like we understand that it was something like that and the guy wasn't happy and so he goes whatever i'm talking to the oic and so he runs up the stairs i'm like well you know he could talk to the officer in charge if he wants it's almost like uh, someone coming into applebee's or target and i want to talk to your manager you know full karen and me mm-hmm. and i don't remember what it was uh, that's what that second towel is for the haircut yeah Actually, so this is actually a super important prison story that I, I basically, I, I forgot about right to this moment. It was me and this other officer who was really rule oriented and he was had a little bit of seniority on me. And so he was someone I was kind of emulating a little bit. And I'll never forget it, actually. He was trying to enforce the rules and the inmate went up and uh, brought down the officer in charge. And it was this one sergeant that I wasn't particularly fond of. And he came down and the sergeant basically said, what are you doing? Why are these inmates coming to get me? It's not a big fucking deal. Just give them this, you know? And, um, did this in front of everybody. And I saw, I saw the, that officer change right in front of me. I actually saw it change where his, I could see it in his eyes that he was angry, that he was upset. And I, and honestly, that officer every day after that, he was my friend, but he was a very, uh, path of least, least, least resistance officer after that, because he saw that it, that it was futile, that every, that he would push hard to do what he was told to do, to stand up to these inmates. But when push came to shove, you know, what's the point? Just give them what they, what they want. And it's like, well, you know, so where do you, if it, we're drawing lines about what's important and we're drawing a lot, that line, what's worth fighting for in different places. You know, if you're going to, if your sergeant's going to be way more liberal with that and say, well, you know, it doesn't just, it just doesn't matter. It's a towel. These inmates shouldn't be coming to get me about this stuff. Like, what's wrong with you? Almost as if this, uh, as if the officer who was with me had poor discretion. And it's like, we, well, that's the whole reason why you have rules about everyday things like this is so there is an officer discretion. It's just the rule. We don't have to enforce it if the inmates know what to expect, but now you're creating a situation where, so an inmate can have more than one towel, but can they have two? Can they have three? Can they have four? And for those of you listening who think they won't take four, they'll fucking take four. They'll take four. They'll take one. They'll leave it on the bench. They'll take another one. They'll put it on the floor. They'll put their shoes on that towel. They'll take another towel in the, to the shower with them and use it as a rag. And then they'll have a fourth towel that's like for their body. And so what happens to the towels in the shower room where you are, Jake? I'll just say what happens here is that we have a bin that all the inmates are supposed to put them in. Wouldn't you know it? Most of them just fucking leave them on the floor. I've seen a shower room where the whole shower room is wet from water and it's full of wet towels that weigh about 800 pounds. And who cleans those up? An orderly does for 25 cents an hour. Well, he fucking quit because he wasn't going to clean up 800 pounds of wet laundry. So all of a sudden we got a filthy shower room that's not fit for anyone to be in. No one to clean it up. And, you know, that was an that was an outcome an eventual outcome of the you know the towel policy doesn't matter thing and and that officer after that he always kind of went to posts where he was out of the way um he was always up in the towers he was uh he would uh, supervise medication pass and then uh eventually he became a uh, i think he became a mailroom officer 
And he, this is a good guy, a good officer, but because he, he got undermined in one of the most hum, humiliating ways, he realized it wasn't worth it, that enforcing the rules and and putting his ass on the line in front of all these inmates because when you're not you're an officer you have credibility too like these guys have street cred well when you're an officer you sort of have you have street cred you have black cred or whatever and when you're and you, when your boss comes down and just says you know what are you doing give these inmates whatever you want you're done for and there's no reason to fight for it after that point because it's like and this applies for any job but if you're if you're if your boss doesn't care about something as much as you care about it, it's the most demoralizing thing in the world. I, I've experienced that at other jobs that had nothing to do with the criminal justice system where I cared about my job and doing my job and being good at my job and performing the essential function of my job. And then uh, my boss didn't care. My boss didn't give a shit. My boss was on, on his way out the door or whatever. And it's just like, well, if they don't care, then I don't care. And so that's essentially what happened. So you talked about the dangers of the situation. I'm going to talk about demoralizing officers so <clears throat> wrapping up this 10 minute rambling conversation, this is all about my memories and feelings. Mm. I just remember when I became a sergeant, I remember how I remembered that incident. Obviously, I remember to this day and said, I'm not going to be like that. So what happened? So I get a bunch of douche canoe, douche canoe officers who don't know how to like have good discretion. When I became a sergeant, we would have these um, officers who uh, did not have good discretion. I would see them fighting about inmates, about stuff that they really they didn't need to, to be fighting. Choosing your battles is important. And okay, so we're going back to where do you draw your lines? Well, I want the officers to enforce every rule. And then there's uh, there's times where uh, officers can be uh, spending their energy in the wrong places or whatever. Um, you know, like uh, they don't know the inmates yet. So there's certain inmates that are very compliant that try to stay out of the way of officers. They don't want anything to do with it. They're doing they're in prison for life. They want to go get their bucket of ice. They want to go get their meds. They want, and then they want to go talk to one guy and go go lock up for the night. Like we're not going to have to chase around. We're not going to have to fight. The, the officer doesn't know that, so the officer's yelling at them to go lock up. Doesn't know that they're supposed to go get a bucket of ice or that they still have to go get the meds. And sometimes they're loitering. So I got that. But these uh, these inmates would then say, you know, your officer so and so, you know, he thinks he's fucking RoboCop or whatever, you know, and and I would and I would say, well, you know what you need to do what, what the officer tells you to do, because just because you've been here forever and he's brand new, it doesn't mean he's not an officer. If you want to fill out a grievance form, if you're not happy with him, that's fine. If you want to talk to me, that's fine. And I will listen to you and I will hear you out, but I'm going to let you know that when the officer tells you to lock up, that's what you need to do. And, and you can be mad about it and you can fight about it and you can take a write up about it, but that won't, that's not going to fix the situation. Ultimately, ultimately you're going to be mad about this and you're going to take a write up when, you could just comply and, uh, you know, go through another route to resolve that fact that you don't like that that's going on. And, and, and maybe that doesn't even need resolution. Maybe you just need to understand that you're an inmate and it doesn't matter that you've been here for 20 years and you've got 20 to go. You're still an inmate. Even if you're a well-behaved inmate, you're still an inmate. But then what I would do is I would take the officer aside privately and I would say, listen, man, like we got to pick our battles here. I know that you don't know this guy, or I don't know that if you know this, but like, and I backed you up. I told I told the inmate he needs to listen to you. But you know, like in the future, like I want you to consider like is it is it worth you you know standing here chewing this guy out for twenty minutes when you could get you know thirty more inmates locked up in that amount of time? If you got an inmate who's not complying, keep moving, keep getting other guys locked up. And if he's not listening to you, you know who can also talk to the officer in charge? You can call me on the radio. I'll come down and I'll lock him up. You know, there's other ways we can do that. And that and that way that officer he doesn't seem he doesn't. He doesn't come off as ineffectual 
incompetent, feckless. You're not getting into a power struggle with this one particular inmate. And when we do come to the power struggle, when it comes down to it, ultimately that inmate's going to come have the power struggle with me. And I'm the boss of the facility, which means I'm going to win. <laughs> so uh, there's just, there's ways you right. can do That's... that. There's ways you, you could take, it, it takes extra time. And some sergeants don't want to do that. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I almost, I almost quit over one situation where admin basically cut my legs out from under me with, in dealing with the inmate. And I knew you know, this happens from time to time, people get undermined. So I went and I talked to them ahead of time. And I said, you know, this is a difficult person, we have two ways we can deal with it. I'm willing to stay stay with this person for the next, you know, 14 hours, I'll work a double and stay and deal with this person's bullshit. You don't have to involve anybody else. But I need backup on that. Or you can cave. And then he's going to manipulate the ever-loving shit out of this facility the entire time he's here yeah and i left they said no no we're gonna do this you don't have to stay i left i come back and find out actually before the end of shift somebody texts me and said hey so-and-so is doing this and uh i walked in the next day and i said listen i said i'm pretty sure you know being a fto here is um, it's not a paid position, you know, it's a, uh, it's something that is voluntary. So I put my, you know, pins on the table and I said, I'm, I'm done with that. And I can't walk away from this place because I have bills to pay yeah. right now, but I'm going to, I'm going to start looking and the, I feel bad for the sergeant. Cause the sergeant was like, what, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, ask so-and-so they know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, had a few, uh, a very lively conversation with admin after that and the sergeant's office and everybody's walking by and they're like, oh my God, is this your last day here? And, you know, did you quit? And I'm like, no. I said, but uh, I spoke my, they're like, but you were yelling. And I was like, yeah, I was very fired up. I said, the secret though is I was right and they knew I was right. Yeah. And uh, they didn't want, they didn't want me to leave. So, they're like, I've never heard anybody scream at the administrator before. And I said, well, I said, if you're going to do that, I'm not suggesting that. Just make sure you're right. And so, yes, since then, I've been very careful um, as a sergeant not to undermine people. But also um, this particular person uh, is involved with someone else and trying to impress someone else at the facility and has ulterior motives on trying to be a tough guy and is just escalating the shit out of situations and barely shows up as it is. So yeah. I had to, I had to uh, kind of make a decision to try to not completely undermine him, but basically tell him, listen, this is what, privately, this is what you're doing. And then talk to the inmate. And yeah, I mean, when I walk into a cell block, that's my first thing is they're like, well, I don't want to do this. I'm like, well, it's got the rules right there up on the fucking wall. Like, can you not, are you, are you illiterate? I'm pretty sure you're one of the people here that can read. So why <laughs> am I here? You yeah. know, there, there is a portion of our population that are illiterate, but you can, you can read English, right? So why the fuck am I down here? The officer gave you a lawful directive. You need to listen to what they're saying. End of story. You think you're going to get something else out of me because I know a little more of your background and sob story? Well, that's not how this works. 
you know, I'm limit setting here. Go to your fucking room. <laughs> it's like, you can go the easy way or the United Airlines way. I don't really give a shit. I mean, that's an old reference now, but, you know, you can go kicking and screaming, getting dragged down the hallway, whatever. You know, it's... <laughs> a lot of times... Um admin like if you're going to yell at them uh they're not ready for that um and some and sometimes when it comes to credibility you know if you're yelling at the wrong admin then they're going to yell at you and tell you to, to get the hell out so i mean sometimes that can blow up in your face but i mean i i've known admin some administrators too that aren't ready to uh aren't ready to square off with one of their officers like that and when they get you know kind of put in their place they tend to back down which is also bad for them as as administrators but i mean that can happen too uh, so it's, it's just interesting. Are, are we, are we going to talk about undermining the entire time? Cause we can, if you want, or did you want to talk about this, uh, correctional facility in, in California that, uh, is drawing, a, a negative attention and negative, uh, or criticism for a myriad of things. Well, uh, I, I think, I think we're done with, uh, admin and, uh, officers and shitty inmates. I think we, I think we need to take on department of Homeland security, <laughs> and, uh, their facilities. I mean, I'm ready to go. I don't know about you, but I'm getting fired up. So, uh, let's, take let's, take let's on the do feds. it. Yeah. Let's, let's take them, take them down a couple pegs. I mean, they don't have many left it. And, and before we get into the whole thing, I will preface saying I have worked with uh, some of these agencies. I've worked with some really good people from these agencies that have been coming and going and bringing us people and um, talk to them and they're good people. And, and I think, you know, Department of Homeland Security right now sounds more of a joke than in previous years um, because of some of the leadership, which, I mean, we were just talking about it. The leadership isn't always great, but that doesn't mean that you don't have very passionate, very good officers and people working for that organization. Um, we have one state uh, organization here that deals with children that frankly fucking sucks. But I've worked with a few decent people there um, that actually try to affect some change. So um, there's some, you know, there's some really badass people that work and protect the United States on the border. I'm sure that work in some of these facilities. Um, it's not a, a comment completely on them, but we do have some uh, things to go over. And it'll be interesting to to break down. Um, I have that kind of unrelated uh, news coverage. It's on the same subject, but some of the things that they're uh, highlighting, we can kind of delve deeper into. I uh, I have not heard of this facility before uh, you told me about it because like I said you're always your preparation is always a uh, top notch and um, although uh, I did, uh, the teasing of the inmates coming up I would admit that was my idea I had finally had one good idea and uh, I could probably thank Carly for it though because she's she's the one who sent me the uh, the videos of of them. Uh, these inmates who are, are absolutely ridiculous. So let's uh, put on a little uh, news media. Uh, I, I, we've been talking now for almost half an hour and we haven't really gotten to the meat of it. Let's uh, talk about this facility. We've got uh, two videos here. Um, I'm going to play one that just talks about the facility and then we're getting into some allegations of abuse there. Uh, this is a hot button issue when it comes to, you know, we talk about Rikers Island a lot. Is that a good facility? Is that a bad facility? But then you add on top of it, you know, um, immigration 
and your different philosophies of immigration, and that'll come to light easily. I'll go ahead and play the first clip. A new investigation by the Pulitzer Prize-winning organization Futuro Investigates and Latino USA shines a light on allegations of sexual abuse and assaults filed by migrants in U.S. immigration detention facilities. NewsHour producer Zeba Varsi teamed up with Futuro Investigates and has been reporting on this story since 2021. We spoke earlier this week. Zeba, it's good to see you. It's good to see you, Jeff. Thank you for having me. So tell us about this investigation into allegations of sexual abuse filed by migrants in immigration detention facilities. What did you find? What struck me the most was the spirit of three women of color, immigrants who are held in detention centers, and how they came forward to speak about the abuse that they faced. They spoke about sexual voyeurism, open showers. They also talked about how they were assaulted by a medical professional while they were held in one of these facilities. Here's an excerpt of what they've told me. The county, you never had to worry about voyeurism or none of that. You never had to worry about sharing no shower and cut, like none of that. And then I came to Glades and I was like, what? We used to see the shadow shadowing of like their head. Like you could see it was a male. And how often did this happen? Like every day. They never fixed the issue. He tells me to lower my pants, and he placed the stethoscope there. He was saying, like, good, good, and he was doing, like, strange gestures, like dirty. He was smiling and looking at me. I was quiet the whole time. For a moment, I was staring off into space and thinking, my God, what is happening? When I was looking at myself in the mirror and battling with myself, I was thinking, I don't deserve to wear these clothes, and I don't deserve to wear this makeup, because I don't matter, and I felt immensely invisible. So, Zeba, what, what facilities in particular emerged as the problems in your investigation? The last two women you just heard were held at Stewart County Detention Center in Georgia. These women have alleged that one male nurse, the same male nurse who was supposed to look after them in the medical clinic inside the facility, assaulted them. And these are not the only ones who've made this allegation. There were at least three other women who made similar allegations against the same male nurse. They complained to ICE about it. They complained to Core Civic, which is a private prison company that runs this particular detention facility. It's been a year this month since they filed their public complaint, and they haven't heard anything back yet. The other woman that we heard from was detained at Glades County Detention Facility in Florida, and she experienced sexual voyeurism. She experienced cross-gender viewing. She also experienced harassment by the psychiatrist at that facility, another medical professional. These women in different facilities don't really know each other, but what they've told us is strikingly similar. And beyond these women, at least a dozen immigrants that I've interviewed across the country who have also talked about similar patterns of assault and abuse, complaints of intrusive pat-down searches, complaints of invasive touching of genitals. It also does emerge that this is not a problem which is isolated to one facility or one state. You teamed up with veteran journalist Maria Inahosa for this investigation, and, and she talks about how she's been doing this reporting, looking into this problem for more than a decade. ICE has found new ways to deal with the challenges of people in detention complaining about sexual abuse. A, what we were able to uncover is that one of the ways in which they're dealing with this is by transferring people, transferring migrants and refugees from one detention facility to another as a way of addressing 
or not addressing complaints of sexual abuse and assault in immigrant detention facilities. So your investigation found that ICE transfers detainees who make these complaints. How does that play out? Jeff, if you may remember, in 2021, there were headlines that came out of Irvin County Detention Center in Georgia. That is the place where non-consensual reproductive surgeries were conducted. That facility had to be shut down after nationwide outrage, congressional hearings. But what happened to the women who were detained there? They were not released. Most of them were transferred from Irvin to Stewart County Detention Center. Now, that is the facility in Georgia where Viviana and Mari, the two women, we've changed their names, those two women faced alleged assault by that nurse. Similarly, in the Florida case that we highlight, we had a woman called Marlissa who was detained at Glades County Detention Center. She filed complaints, other women filed complaints. There were many other complaints of abuse, apart from sexual abuse, that were also raised. ICE had to shut down that facility. Women were transferred from Glates to Baker County Detention Center. And at Baker, which is the second facility, Marlissa faced similar, if not worse. Whenever immigrants end up complaining, immigration rights activists say that this has become uh, a consecutive pattern that, that ICE has adopted of transferring folks from one center to another. Well, on that point, Zeba, what's the, what's the path forward for these women? Jeff, these women are hoping to hear back on their complaints. We followed up with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, which is the law enforcement agency that took up the case and had promised to conduct a thorough investigation. They said that they've concluded it, the DA's office has it, the DA's office has not released the conclusion yet. We have 300 complaints of sexual assault and abuse that have been filed by immigrants across different centers. 60% of these complaints have no update on whether an investigation was conducted. So the problem that we are highlighting is not only that abuse of immigrants in detention centers uh, is taking place, the fact that it may be happening with impunity, the fact that there is a possible lack of accountability, the fact that most of these cases are not being thoroughly investigated. And that's what we hope to change, and that's what we hope uh, would be the outcome of our story. Seba Warsi, thank you so much for sharing that reporting with us. Thank you for having me, Jeff. And you can read more of Zeba's work and find a link to the full podcast, Immensely Invisible, on our website. That's pbs.org. Okay, I've heard it of that guy. Uh, I did find that second article or second video. But first of all, Jake, I want to I take your takes on this. Uh, what, what are you thinking? Well, there's... Uh some interesting uh, contradictions in there. There's some interesting numbers in there. And um, obviously if, if somebody's be is, we can substantiate that somebody's being um, abused. That's a big, big deal. Right. But we're talking about, she, she was quoted as saying there were dozens of women um, across the country. I think last year this, and this is a fairly recent, this is from a few weeks ago. Um, the, there was an estimated that there was over 2 million people came into this country just over the course to the year to date to, to July. And she's talking about dozens of people and she mentions the number of 300 complaints. So to me, if you're, if you're taking 300 and dividing it by even 24, that's a, that's a large number of uh, complaints, the odds that those complaints can, can be substantiated are probably very low in my, in my experience about, I mean, I'm not directly involved in the, uh, 
um, grievance process and rightly so because people can grievance me, which is, it's totally appropriate that I'm not part of it, but I do, you know, sometimes find out what the result of these investigations are. And I'd say probably 98% of it is I don't like someone. So I filed a grievance or made up a convincing story, um, to, but we were able to make sure that it's completely unsubstantiated. Well, by taking a, a broader look, maybe a step back, who likes being in jail? Who likes being in a detention center? Who's not going to find some aspect of it humiliating? I picked up on some key things. They talked about what we call gang showers. Now, that has nothing mm -hmm. to do with like, you know, Crips or Bloods. A gang shower is just a big room with a bunch of nozzles on it where everyone goes to shower. Uh, they're talking about, uh, she didn't make specific mention of it, but I'm sure she doesn't like that the inmates, you know, have to use the bathroom in front of each other. They don't like the, uh, the, uh, being observed by members of the opposite sex. It's not a reasonable expectation to run any prison anywhere. I mean, let's switch, let's switch all the sexes in this. Let's say it's, we're talking about men. Men don't like being supervised by women. The facility I worked at was all men. We did everything we could to avoid a situation where a woman is, is watching the shower room. Hmm. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. Sometimes it's going to happen. Sometimes uh, because our facility was so old, sometimes the only way that a, a woman could get from point A to point B was by walking through this one particular shower room. And so they would go through there, you know, they would go like this, you know, to because to, they don't want to see that shit either. And they would try to mm -hmm. walk through there and just go do their work. And, and most of the inmates didn't have a problem with it. But um, again, I worked in the state facility where people are used to being there. They're used to not really having an option. They're not going to be able to exercise any any rights. But talking about rights, I get that they're in detention. I get that they're they're in sort of a limbo state, particularly uh, as the enforcement of immigration laws fluctuates every four years, depending on who's the president. And mm -hmm. major major policies regarding enforcement of the law are all over the place every four years. Uh, and just these inmates, uh, the the high numbers of of people in detention because our immigration numbers are so high and our apparatus is so low for dealing with them. We've talked before about how many federal courts there are available to handle illegal immigration cases. And that's why it takes so long. And that's why these guys, they, they are able to uh, leave detention. They go back to the wind, they go back to Mexico, then they leave and come back here. And it's like, well, we've caught them before and we've released them before. But we've never been able to uh, do any kind of adjudication on them. So we, it's, I, the point I'm making is it should be clear we don't have a criminal justice apparatus that is robust enough or adequate to handle the large numbers that we're seeing. So keeping that in mind, we don't have the facility, the numbers, the staffing uh, to deal with that problem. Even at a regular facility where immigration is not the key issue for all of or most of your detainees or your inmates, you're just you're not going to have the creature comforts that they're they seem to be asking for that they want to never be supervised by a member of the opposite sex they don't they don't want these gang showers now uh this one woman talked about being examined by a doctor and she didn't want to be examined by a doctor the reason why we have the doctor do it and and not having a uh someone you you know with a correctional officer person doing this is so that we can avoid rape allegations uh, whether she likes it or not, whether whether or not she had consent to that, she was de being detained in a facility. I don't know her exact mm. criminal justice status, but you have a loss of rights there. Like, let's start with you don't have the right to leave. So if you just accept the premise that these people are in detention, they don't have the right to leave. So that helps you understand that these people have 
various other diminished rights. We have to do physical exams on these people in order to protect them from diseases, to protect each the other inmates from diseases. We have to be able to, uh, to treat them. But we, most of all, we have to protect ourselves from liability. If you bring an inmate into a facility and they've got something wrong with them that's going to hurt or kill them or cause some kind of issue, it's incumbent upon a benevolent state in a benevolent detention center to be having doctors looking over these detainees. Hmm. So what do you do if you're, if your detainee doesn't want to be looked over? Well, you don't have a choice because you have diminished rights. So that's where uh, an impassioned uh, advocate like the lady on this uh, news article comes on and says, you know, there's all this voyeurism and there's all this stuff going on that these inmates don't want. Don't come to this country and don't get detained if you don't want that. Like it's an inevitable outcome for us all. Like I don't want to. I don't want to have to use the bathroom in front of somebody. I don't want to have to shower in front of somebody. Do you know one of the main ways I'm going to avoid doing that? I'm going to refrain from criminal behavior. Mm. You know, it, it, the mere we've invited a lot of this. These women who feel victimized and they feel put upon. We've invited this by saying you could come into this country consequence free. And, and when it turns out that there are consequences for it, they're all like, well, I didn't know there would be consequences. I didn't know that I might experience some some personal shame or humiliation uh, from being detained. I didn't know that I would be uh, treated uh, less like a human and more like an animal. I, I hate to say this, but it's like that's a holding pen, this detention center. Um, you're being held there temporarily until we can figure out what the hell to do with you. It, it, it's a government bureaucracy, okay? So uh, people that want the government in charge of everything, I say, take a look at this, okay? So, so you want universal health care. You want universal everything. You basically want more or less the socialist state. You want every aspect of your life to be like this because this is what happens when the government's in charge. If you don't like going to the DMV and if you don't like if you don't like living conditions for this detention facility, then why would you invite that to the rest of your life? I'm kind of getting onto a, a kind of a drift of conversation there, but there's people well, that yeah. want that. And, and, and just case in point, I don't know if you've ever bought alcohol in a state that has a, a state controlled alcohol, uh, Utah, North Carolina. It's a miserable experience. I hate buying booze from the state. Go ahead, Jake. <laughs> well, and the, like you said, these are medical, these are private facilities because we don't have the system to deal with the influx of people. So you're going to have different levels of oversight for private facilities to a certain extent than um government facilities um the other thing is with the this the allegations from this i, I believe it was quoted as a male nurse um context is important i mean if i had somebody come to me and say he put the stethoscope there and i felt very uncomfortable i'm like well uh, on your back on your middle back on your lower back you know like i need more context as to what what you mean from that, you know, like, are you not comfortable being examined at all? Like you said, that's, that's a lot different than like a Larry Nassar, you know, doing weird sex stuff during an examination. And you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. And, and me, I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't address uh, issues where people are in power or abusing that power as someone who hates the government, we should definitely be dealing with that. And we need to investigate any doctors or officers or staff that are doing that. I'm not saying don't do that, but you can't yeah. just say, well, you know, they never fix the problem every single day. This is what it was like. Like you experienced detention, you experienced jail or prison or whatever. You experience what that is. And it's it's not staying in a hotel. Go ahead. Right. And then one of the other complaints that they had. And again, you know, if, if stuff's substantiated, then 
obviously they need to take care of that criminally or internally, depending on what the, the level of, um, you know, abuse would be considered. But then they also were taking issue um, with the fact that they were mo getting moved from facilities, from facility to facility. And it's like, well, their immigration status hasn't changed, right? They came here, like you said, on the promise that was not delivered and they ended up in a state or county or transferred wherever because it's it's not up to them now they're they're here department of homeland security is trying to deal with this influx of people so they send them all over the united states i don't think i mean it would be probably shocking to people to see what the the price tag for moving these people all over the united states and it's interesting um, from some of the things I've read where they get sent because they're trying to, uh, let's say it's very strategic uh, coming up to an election year where people are originally sent and then they're mad when they get sent somewhere else. Um, but political things aside, they don't like the solution that they get moved from one place to the other. So what is the solution that you're looking for? The solution... I know. I, I love the, crit about... the criticism without without a suggestion. And first of all, right. you know, I, I would say, like, if you have a, a problem with where you're being kept and anyone has the decency to move you, I think that they're trying to solve the problem. I think if, mm -hmm. if someone's claiming that there's an aggressor or someone nearby that poses a threat to them, this, this newscast made it seem like, well, they're being brushed under the rug. They're like, well, we're not solving any of the problems. We're just getting rid of them. Well, we're not getting rid of them, first of all, because they're still in detention. We're, we're trying to eliminate them from the, the, the place that's posing danger to them. And all, all we can do is put them somewhere else. Okay, we only have A, B, and C to put them in. So where else should it be? You know, um, I, I, did, I sort right. of resented well, the implication that we weren't really dealing with the problem. And that's the first that's the first step in the PREA process. If you get an allegation, even before you could substantiate anything is to separate them. Yeah. From whoever sound, yeah. that person was. Yeah. That's the, that's the first step. If this reporter was actually had any um, experience trying to help somebody that had been sexually abused, maybe she would understand that, but she doesn't. No. And then, you know, it's like, to me, the implication is, well, they're just getting moved. And that's not a solution. It's like, okay, well, the solution that you're hinting at, but you're not saying is that you want them released. Yes. If we release everyone who has a allegation, guess what happens to the number of allegations that we have? They're all going to go um, way through the roof. But ultimately, they yeah. don't care about that because their, their actual solution is to close these detention centers, as we will get into and find out. But go ahead. I keep stepping on you. No, it's okay. But, uh, and I've, I think the, the comment from one of the people, it might've been clarified when I listened to it the second time was that she went from she was in County and then she went to glades. And then the reporter was talking about the opposite happening. So I don't know if it's two different people because she gave three examples. Um, but if somebody had been in County before, just for argument's sake, um, if they're familiar with a County detention center, what does that tell you that that person, you know, has at some point, uh, committed a crime that they this might not be the first time that they've you know been to this country that um you know they're familiar with these facilities yeah and that tells you the type of person that they're trying to you know i'm not saying that people can't change and people can't do better i have seen examples of that but by and large the the number of people that 
come to jail, you know, we, we joke about being like Bob or dad, leaving the light on for you. Like this is fucking motel six. Like I'll see you soon. Like, yeah, you know, if they haven't changed their attitude, um, there's not really, then they're not a very good criminal. They're, <laughs> they're not very intelligent. Yeah. Um, they're, they're going to be back. And we've talked about people that are on trial for murder that have crossed the border numerous times, committed crimes on both sides of the border and stuff. And then they kill somebody and then it makes a big splash in the media. It's like, well, why are they here after having dozens and dozens of counts? Why are they free when they're a felon? Why, you know, like, why weren't they sent back to, and it's not just, you know, a Mexico America thing. I mean, I think you could tell there was some different languages being spoken. Um, that's the other thing we don't talk about very often is the people coming over the border are coming from all over the place. I mean, if people realize like the people that are being detained by like Bortac and stuff that are from Syria and places like that, yeah. um, there's a, if even in this very liberal um, administration, if somebody's in detention, um, there's a very good reason for that. I would, yeah. I would say. Uh, why don't we go ahead and play the the second clip where we talk about uh, how we would just want these places shut down? I was looking into this one facility. We're going to talk about uh, the sexual allegations against the facility in San Diego. When I looked into it, there was a lot of videos about how people just want this facility to cease to exist, and uh, this video will uh, talk about that. Since a high of over 50,000 in 2019, the number of people in immigration detention nationwide has fallen to around 15,000 people. Lawyers with the ACLU of San Diego and Imperial Counties say that drop proves immigration detention is unnecessary, with no tangible impact on public safety or the functioning of the immigration court system. The bottom line is that people can be released. People can be released pursuant to orders that call for a release of a large number of people at once. And the system will not fall apart. It will continue to, to operate as it has. People will continue to show up for immigration court. In a new issue brief being distributed this week, the group is highlighting allegations of abuse at the Otay Mesa Detention Center, which is run by the private prison company CoreCivic. These include medical neglect, poor sanitation, sexual abuse, and the use of solitary confinement. This reliance on private corporations um, in immigration detention and incarceration really incentivizes mistreatment and abuse by encouraging corporations to keep costs down to increase profits. The issue briefing calls for the closure of Otay Mesa and enforcement of a new California law banning the use of private prisons. But Immigration and Customs Enforcement and CoreCivic signed a last-minute contract extension, which aimed to circumvent the new law, meaning that CoreCivic might continue to operate for years to come in San Diego. Max Rivlin-Adler, KPBS News. Okay, so th their core problem with that uh, seems to be that they don't like the privatization of detention centers. Jake, do you have thoughts on privatization? I'm they're, they're, they're cynically, you're saying, well, people are profiting off of the incarceration of others. Uh, I'm going to put out a big take. So we should just constantly uh, take a bath on having to incarcerate people. The amount of money that we spend to incarcerate criminals, people that shouldn't be in jail because they shouldn't be committing crimes or people that shouldn't be in this country is horrendous. So I, you know, I, I'm not Mr. Big Corporation or anything like that, uh, but 
so we so we should just continue to have the the state the taxpayers fund this and basically you and me taking a raw deal on it go ahead well and i think too um i don't know uh pretend to know all of the ins and outs of the privatization process and how these are funded but a lot of it is um funded through the taxpayers it's just like they can slap up a facility they can you know staff it and whatever and get traveling nurses or whoever to cover medical staff and then now um they're able to do what the government we talk about typical government efficiency right, right. well it's it's kind of like halliburton trying to solve a problem in the middle east like the you can say what you want about the facility you know halliburton as a company people being on the board and stuff like that but to go from being a country in the middle of buttfuck middle east to having actual like full-on facilities i mean a lot of them were russian but uh taking these large military bases building them up and you know going from where you're sleeping on a dirt floor in a mud hut in the middle of nowhere afghanistan to having like large fully built facilities and stuff was a huge undertaking and i think it's very similar with the privatization um, of these jails they're corporations that are you know putting these things up and it may be somewhat at the cost of the taxpayer but the the efficiency of it i see i see why they do it because you know the government is not equipped to deal with this influx like not even close um and that's and uh, that i've heard in interviews with people that work for homeland security and stuff um the that is their biggest thing is they're like hey you know even in um these difficult political times and how things go back and forth there are people that just want to do their job and they just want to be efficient but just the the flood of people it doesn't matter which side of the aisle they're on um the flood of people is just too difficult to to deal with and feel like they're having a real meaningful impact I guess the, the the thing that I took away from it that I thought was interesting was um, that she thinks that you could close detention centers in society and the system is going to go on as normal. Mm-hmm. If you want to, if you want to move the privatization out of the out of the, the topic, in a, in a broader sense, the ACLU and other organizations are calling for the closure of these detention centers. Certainly, AOC could probably be seen uh, with her hand on a on a fence you know, with a single tier demanding that it be closed. Mm. People are not going to immigration court. The way that it currently works in the real world, folks, is that uh, someone will, uh, an officer will come across someone who uh, is possibly an illegal immigrant or they're known to be an illegal immigrant or a previously deported felon and where we're to, to contact ICE. The way that it used to work is that ICE would come and take custody of them and then the local police wouldn't have to worry about it. ICE would put them in detention or whatever. But now it's like, we'll just issue them a court date. So it's a summons like getting a traffic ticket. Like, oh, you're in this country illegally. Well, here's your ticket. So you don't belong here. Here's your citation. Uh, your court date is, you know, uh, it's September 9th. I want you to show up at this court. Well, they're already they're already somewhere showing up where they're not supposed to be. What makes you think they're going to show up somewhere where they are supposed to be? So they get, they get released. They have this uh, citation or whatever. They know if they go to court, they're getting deported because they're not supposed to be here. What's the, what's the incentive for them to go to court? 
what's the difference in, between being being wanted on a bench warrant for failure to appear in court and being someone who's not supposed to be in this country anyway? They both have the same effect. Both of them get you to go to court and, and the court eventually gets you out of the country. So there's 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 no incentive to say, well, I, want, I don't want a warrant for my arrest for failing to show up for court. So I'm definitely going to go to court when the result of that is, is, is getting kicked out of the country. Let's put this another way. Let's suppose that you're, uh, let's suppose you're wanted for murder and let's suppose you did it. And, uh, so, uh, you're issued a citation for this murder and, uh, the judge says, okay, uh, you know, you're, you're being charged with homicide in the second degree and, uh, your court date is September 9th at nine, at 9 a.m. Show up at the courthouse and you know that you're going to prison for the rest of your life. Jake, what are you going to do? Uh, this is a hot take. I think um, I'm going to take the the safe bet and say they don't show up. I'm asking you what you would do. <laughs> oh me? I, well, that yeah. that's class. What would I do if I was going to go? Class- that that's classified. that's classified. Um, the, let's just say the judicial system uh, would be would might look very different after that. Um, that, sorry, that sounds like a veiled threat. I'm going to have somebody end up shooting me like that guy uh, that the Fed shot earlier this week. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, that's we were discussing that. It's just people don't show up. And that's the kind of the issue that we have here locally is similarly back when I started my career. It was, you know, we had a uh, liberal president at the time and. But still, even even so, because uh, they flip flop on the issues, um, we had a couple people here in detention, and they ended up getting long uh, deten- Actually, got adjudicated, got longer sentences, mm-hmm. and then as they were getting close to the end of their sentence, uh, ICE would show up, and they would take custody and they would deport them. And some of them would take the time that they spent in jail, basically to build up a case to find out the cartels and stuff that they were dealing with and say, Hey, you have two options. If you want to stay in the United States, you can cooperate with us and tell us what we want to know about this person or that person or this operation or this cartel. And uh, we can offer for you to stay in the United States. And if you don't, then we're going to put a black bag on your head and drop you off on the other side of the border or put you on a plane. If we're being, gentlemanly about it yeah um and now it's illegal for anyone including my staff to um it's basically against uh state law i should say um to interact or give any private information or any information regarding inmates with a federal entity like um immigration customs enforcement so um it's it's changed quite a bit in in just the last few years it's a difficult subject i never really had to deal with uh federal inmates or anything like that um we would have them staying with us temporarily uh but they were just treated essentially like any other inmate um i'm gonna go ahead and read the article that you sent sent me um Let's see what we got here. Navigated away from the page. You sent me a, a, a article about this facility in San Diego 
I believe it's pronounced Otay Mesa. That's the way they're referring to it in the news. But this is uh, from NBC7 in San Diego. And a case manager at the Otay Mesa Detention Center is accused of having sex with ICE detainee. So we just got through with uh, talking about what are the reasonable expectations of someone in detention? What are the pitfalls and the politics of detention? But what happens when you have a, a federal employee uh, apparently having sex uh, with, I believe it's a minor uh, in this case. I'll just go ahead and read it. And if I was wrong about the minor, then obviously I'll be proven wrong. This is from August 11th, 2023. So this is from yesterday. A woman who worked for a Department of Homeland Security office that manages complaints from immigration detainees, she manages complaints, has been charged by federal prosecutors with having a sexual relationship with a detainee at the Otay Mesa Detention Center. Chantal Hernandez, 36, of San Diego, is accused of having an ongoing relationship with the unidentified detainee while she was working as a case manager at the Office of Immigration Detention Ombudsman, an independent office with the Department of Homeland Security. The office assists people with complaints regarding potential violations of immigration detention standards and other misconduct by DHS employees. So she already works in the office that investigates misconduct. Who watches the watchers, Jake? The U.S. Attorney's Office alleges DHS received information indicating Hernandez was spending an unusual amount of time with a detainee. That is always a bad sign. Further investigation revealed, quote, in a significant number of sexually explicit phone calls and electronic communication concerning the pair's relationship. Are you not aware that the phone calls might be recorded? It seems like if you work on the inside, you should know that. I mean, anyone should. Yeah. In one of those phone calls, Hernandez allegedly told the detainee she had a video of a sex act, sex act they engaged in, and investigators later discovered a copy of such a video. Well, you know, you're just, you're not very smart. You know, you're going to get on the recording of the phone call and say, hey, just so you know, there's uh, there's uh, damning evidence of our, of our crime. So, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, just saying right. that, you know, giving, giving the, the other investigator something to look for. She, I doubt I can't she's even, a very good investigator herself. Go ahead. I, I can't even blame it on a generational thing. You know, it's like my my uh, brother is younger than myself by uh I mean, a fair amount when you're kids anyways. And uh, he would get in trouble for stuff because he videotaped it. You know, I was like, we did plenty of dumb shit when I was a kid. But why the fuck would you like just get mad when you're presented with the evidence like this? Like what like what is the, the logic behind that? I don't I don't understand. But I mean, she's between my age and your age, so I can't even say it's a generational thing. How old are you? 34. Oh, I'm almost 39. I didn't know we were so different. All right, I'll continue on. Hernandez is charged with sexual abuse of a ward, which carries a maximum penalty of 15 years in prison. I wonder if she would be a, a registered sex offender after that. I imagine you would have to be. Hernandez's, Hernandez's main purpose as a DHS OIDO case manager was to promote safe and humane conditions within immigration detention. So here you go. Uh, you got all these crybaby advocates out there saying the you know these uh, detainees are going through so much, and unfortunately, we're going to take a black eye over here on the, on the side of law and order because uh, one of our people who's supposed to be fulfilling ideally what these uh, uh, advocates are saying is only proving their point. Uh, Jeff, uh, excuse me. So she was supposed to be promoting safe and humane conditions within immigration detention, said Jeff. Gigalan, 
a special agent in charge of the Office of Professional Responsibility. However, she allegedly abandoned that oversight role, instead using her position to engage in prohibited sexual activity as opposed to the, you know, approved sexual activity with ICE detainee in one of our detention facilities. OPR is fully committed to enforcing ICE's zero-tolerance policy against sexual abuse in our detention facilities and aggressively pursuing those with DHS employees who invite the law no matter what their role or title is. It's frustrating, you know, because you and I get off on this uh, bent about how shit's going to happen to you in prison. Mm-hmm. In, a, in, a great, in a greater sense, it is unavoidable. Uh, but here you are. You have, again, someone who's supposed to be um, watching over this, and they're just as fallible as anyone else. And, and it, it, to my point, the, the watchers who are supposed to be taking care of the, pit, the, the people inside the detention centers uh, are just as fallible as anyone else. So the, the only way you can have that is constantly having checks and balances. You were talking last week or the week before about how officers are searched before they come into your facility. There's body scanners that they have to submit to physical searches. The officers who do those searches are just as capable of being bribed or coerced as anyone else. So who, who, you know, who's keep making sure those officers don't bring in stuff. There's, there's always a way around. It's sort of generally depressing. I don't know what the answer is other than you make coming to this country, not a viable option for someone who's trying to improve their life. Uh, I kind of get, get sick of the idea of the, all these people who say, well, you know, we're talking about families. We're talking about people's lives and you don't want them to have a better life. You know, we left England so that we could have a better life, uh, but we came to some place where they're okay. We're getting into it now with with Native Americans or whatever. But it's like we 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 made things better for ourselves. We didn't come we didn't come over to be dependent on someone else. We were willing to put in the hard work and die in the process. And we have a process for these people to come here that is legal. So why don't they just do that? And you can argue all you want about the process being too hard or too difficult or whatever. I would kind of like people to come into this country who are willing to go through a difficult process to get here. Right. And I, I, I think that's the the uh, reasonable middle ground would be make it so that it's not easy for people to come here illegally, that it's not that you're not giving them you know the false pretense that you're just going to be let in. And then that is not the case. Don't give them, you know, false hope. Just say, okay, the border's closed to illegal entry, but uh, assign people that can actually, and you know, work on the process to make sure that people are vetted, but that they can come to the country legally. Make that process easier rather than making it jumping across, you know, swimming across a very dangerous river, getting caught in the flotation stuff in there and dying or you know the the, something that's not talked about a lot we're talking about you know sexual abuse quote unquote in um these detention facilities then this latter case uh you know i'll go ahead and say it um it's it's just because of her it's because of her position i mean but it's not because uh this person was necessarily you know raped i don't know the details of it but yeah it there's been, there, we, we don't other know a lot about that case yeah it could have been consensual in any other context other than this but um you know you want to talk about um you know providing services to the if you want to get <laughs> talk about providing services and uh being compassionate and whatever that could have been part of that process but 
one of the things we don't talk about because it's ugly and because it's it's a difficult subject and no one wants to think about it the the sexual abuse that happens with people that come here illegally there was right. that one case of that young girl that had dozens of people's dna in, in her and she's a, a like she's a young girl she's not even in middle school so the the I horrors that these yeah the horrors that these people um put up with you know is that part of the cost of passage was that just what was expected to happen you know i'm sure that wasn't part of trying to sell um her coming to america that shouldn't be part of someone's immigration story it should be you know that they came here like you said they want a better life they're willing to work for it and do what's required you know get through those um get through the process and do it legally those are the types of people that we want here we we don't want um part of the process to be people getting sexually abused people dying you know not. getting dehydrated in the desert dying in a fucking container you know like it's yeah. And, and I wish I could say it's something that's a new phenomena, but I actually was watching uh, episodes of The Wire. I mean, that's a really old show, and they're talking about illegal immigration in the second season and people coming over and shipping containers. So obviously, something something needs to change. Well, uh, you're 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 ramping up to exactly my point. To anyone who disagrees with my views on uh, illegal immigration, that is okay. And I'm and I'm gonna I'm gonna explain to you why uh, it's the fault of uh, Barack Obama in the Congress or George Bush in the Congress or Ronald Reagan in the Congress or anyone you want. So we were talking about this the other day. Um, you 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 don't want you don't want young children uh, being sexually abused. You don't want. Uh, the, these terrible things going on in the course of them immigrating to this country, like Jake just said, you don't want that to be part of their their story of coming to America. It's sort of an inevitable outcome of their immigration being part of underworld activity. Okay, so like you have people that are are hyped up on serious drugs. I'm not talking about necessarily about marijuana, but like real drugs. Let's talk meth. Let's crack things like that. People getting beat up by their their pimps, uh, by their drug dealers, uh, other gang members. There's there's a certain amount of violence and unseemliness that's a part of an underworld lifestyle. So if you're coming to this country in, in an underworld fashion, meaning illegally, undocumented or whatever, you're inviting that into your life, whether you whether you think it should be there or not, by by engaging in criminal activity of that sorts. You know, you're not under the protection of the police while you're engaged in that sort of thing, because you, you can't go to the police. You can't you can't necessarily seek their protection or get out of that situation. Because now you're you're being owned by someone because of the disadvantage you're putting yourself into, but why is it the the fault of Barack Obama or or whoever else? If you wanted to decriminalize uh, illegal immigration, you can do that, and we could have done that. Barack Obama had a, had a liberal Congress at one point. He had the House and the Senate locked up. He basically uh, had a free pass to do whatever he wanted politically, and he did many of those things. Uh, the legalization of same-sex marriage, case in point, fundamentally changed the culture and the country, and they were able to get it done. That was an issue they wanted to win. There's other issues they don't want to win. Illegal immigration, abortion, these are the issues that they don't want to come out on. So we had Roe v. Roe v. Wade since you know the 70s or whatever. Congress at any point could have made legislation to define you know, what's acceptable. Might have gone back to the Supreme Court, 
probably, you know, laws have a way of doing that. But ultimately, what should have happened is that our, our laws should be made by Congress and not the people in the courts. But the people in Congress don't do that because they always want to be able to point the finger at the other guy every every uh, election October. If you don't vote for me, my opponent will deport children back to Mexico. If you don't vote for me, criminal rapists are going to pour across the border from Mexico. If you don't vote for me, Republicans are going to privatize Social Security. If you don't vote for me, they're going to uh, decrease entitlements. It's always the threat of what you're going to do for the other guy. So these political parties, both Republicans and Democrats, they both profit from the irresolution of problems because they can constantly say it's going to be an issue. Like uh, something very modern, uh, just case in point, the elimination of student loan debt. Biden comes in and says, we're getting rid of this, right? And that's a huge reason to get particularly a lot of young voters to like him. All of a sudden, we're off the hook for, for what we owe. But he knows that that's going to get struck down. He just knows that's going to take about three to four years. And sure enough, look what happened. That thing goes through the criminal justice system. They say that the gears of, of the law turned slowly. It got struck down. Here we are about a year away from election. And this thing that he promised everyone would happen, uh, guess what? Now it gets to be a political issue. Now, if you vote for Joe Biden, we're going to find another way to get legislation pushed through, through the Congress this time, instead of uh, executive order, we're going we're to find a way to eliminate this debt. So now, not only is it important that you vote for Uncle Joe on this issue, but you, invo you vote for all the Democrats in Congress who are going to support me. And it's a way of, of creating an issue and not really solving an issue. And they know they didn't solve it so that they can constantly make it a platform for reelection. So you, 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 you talked about The Wire and how that's an old show. That's a new show to me because I haven't seen it. And I know it's a very good show. I've heard a lot of people compliment it. But even Reagan was talking back in the days, you know, 40 years ago about what to do about illegal immigration and whether or not, uh, you know, a path to citizenship existed. And I believe he granted uh, uh, immunity to all the to all the immigrants that are in the country now. It's like saying, OK, guess what? You're in here now. Uh, we're going to call everyone that, that is here now a citizen on the grounds that from here forward, we can be very, very hard on illegal immigration. Republicans have this way of saying, I'm giving up on this issue for now, but I'm going to fight tooth and nail on the next issue. This is actually why I walked away from the Republican Party. But you you got to realize, so if you're upset about the, the situation with immigration, you have no one to blame but your president and your Congress. Don't blame detention centers like this. Don't blame, blame police officers who are trying to enforce the law versus what is the policy of the administration for enforcing the law. You've got to hold your Congress accountable. This is how laws get made. It's not by nine people with black robes. It's not It's not about making the, the Supreme Court have, have 100 people in black robes inflating the Supreme Court. You're supposed to have a system that works, but Congress, they just want power. They just want to stay in office. They can't be held accountable to anything. They're the ones who are supposed to get things done. And ultimately, it's not happening because the status quo is what keeps them in power. So if, if you're mad about the state of illegal immigration, and, and we, you know, you have a this president and you can blame Biden. You can blame Obama because they that they're the ones who are on the side of the issue of making it decriminalized, getting rid of the concept of illegal immigration. And they didn't do it. Jake, I just went on for about 20 minutes there. I have to take a break for some cocaine and Gatorade. You go ahead. Yeah, well, and unfortunately, the the level of uh, corruption and, you know, turning a blind eye to things and stuff goes goes all the way down. I mean, I, I see it in uh, local government, state government. You see state organizations that their whole charter 
they have an inflated budget and their whole whole charter is to take care of children and to investigate um abuse okay we we just did a, a training about you know trauma-informed care here recently about not re-traumatizing people and stuff and it's like okay so you're saying i i get it and i understand that it's not my goal to try to re-traumatize somebody by going over things or trying to give the wrong example and and cause damage but this is coming from the same organization that takes children out of a situation where they're being raped and then puts them back in that situation after they conclude their investigation i mean i have very real conversations very frank conversations with you know young men and women that are almost adults now and they've been in the system and been systematically um put in these situations over and over and over and over again like talk about a fucking nightmare um and and then you know in the local court process you see these closed door meetings that happen and stuff with regards to things and then they go to court and then the court is like the open you know this is the public theater of this is it's it's really theater this is this is what we're right. going to say is going to happen this is what we're going to do when it's already been the backdoor deal's already been done they've already made the deals well we'll do this if you do that and okay well we'll agree to this if you agree to that and you know that's how the system quote unquote is supposed to work and i mean i think the only the only solace that i have the only reason i remain part of the system is that occasionally it offers me the opportunity to be the one person that gives a shit about a person yeah. and that tries to get them some help but unfortunately i have to refer them back to the system so i i'm even frank when i'm telling them like listen this organization is the one that is supposed to help you. And I'm sorry because their success rate is not very high, but at least I can try to offer an opportunity for you to get some help. I can't guarantee it's going to be helpful, um, but there's been a few times in my career when I've been able to basically use the system's um, laziness against themselves. Yeah. Uh, we've had, uh, we ha I had a young woman come in who was telling me about systematic abuse and how she'd been through, um, been through multiple sets of family members and she was with the worst family member yet. And um, I was able to do some research based on her stuff, make some phone calls, even though it's not my job, it's not my charter at all to try to find, I called close to a dozen family members to try to find a decent one over vetting them, basically by voice over the phone yeah. <laughs> and trying to decide who's a piece of shit and who isn't because I can, you know, I can tell when I, uh, usually not always, but when uh, someone's telling me um, allegations of rape and it's completely bogus and I yeah. can generally, I can tell when it's sincere and um, I was able to make all the arrangements and then get a hold of a caseworker in the on-call and tell the person that was dealing because it's a separate facility say hey i've made all the arrangements this person's willing to take them it's here it's actually a neighboring state but if this agency agrees to it she's already got a potential placement somebody that wants her and it actually fucking worked 
I, I, I'm shocked, but it actually fucking worked. I used their laziness against them because I guarantee nobody with that organization would have given a shit or done that much work to, or even tried to vet anyone. And that's fucking sad. I, I'm glad you were able to, to get something done. There seems like every once in a while, there's a story like that. Um, I remember when April was on the show, she discussed how, um, she was able to kind of step out on a limb and do something that maybe, maybe it's not a hundred percent within the, or the lines of what a, uh, a system would do, but you know, she was able to help someone out personally through, through being a human being and going through that extra step. And unfortunately the system tends to discourage those things. It tends to punish those things. Um, it is possible for good people in the right situation to help others. But here again, when you, when your situation is such that you have millions of people who are here and who are not supposed to be here, um, do you have millions of special people who are willing to kind of go out of the way and put things on the line to help them? And even then, you know, you, you sort of, you sort of have a, a limited availability to uh, respond to millions of people's unique problems. So there's, you know, other, other than I'd say, I, again, once again, kind of putting it on Congress, you know, how do you go a, and resolve these things? Well, and, and I, I kind of say this tongue in cheek, because even if you, uh, went to the issue went all the way to the extent of decriminalizing it and you know now you've got tons of people crossing the border you got tons of people who get here they don't have a job they don't have insurance they don't have a way to uh to live a, a socio-normative american lifestyle in the way that you and i do and so there's they're still going to be susceptible to uh criminal abuse and things like that because you know now they don't have insurance and things like that they can't report it um you're going to have high high amounts of things being reported the police are not going to be able to respond to that particularly in a defund era mm -hmm. And it's just well, and there's an amazing ability by I, I know that um, Eric's talked about it and Mike way back about the ability of uh, criminals to profile. And yeah, once you have people in a, a situation, you know, I mean, and that in this Ote detention center, you know, maybe it wasn't altruistic, maybe it wasn't true love. This is, wasn't a lifetime movie thing maybe it, it it was just purely an abuse of power because yeah that happens where people say hey you can't go to the police about this because you'll get deported so you're going to do what i want to do or you know i see it all the time with people that are um sex offenders you know call it what you want but um they profile people like they know immediately immediately that somebody has been um abused before like they can just look at someone from the head down and they know they're somebody that's been abused mm -hmm. sometimes they know what type of abuse and they try to exploit it so it's it's yeah the the odds of somebody being taken advantage of in that type of situation is ridiculous it's astronomical I, I, I'm not without feelings for people. I understand, you know, what would I do if I was trying to make a better life for myself? I'm not going to see it in a geopolitical sense. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to see it as, you know, what 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 is Congress going to do? I'm gonna, obviously going to try to do, uh, you know, what's best for me and my family. So I get that. And I, I don't want people to suffer, but uh, it's it's also, I, I've heard people say, well, you know, why, why just, why does it matter? Just let them live where they want to live. 
we live in a closed system. We don't, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. I think anyone who's taken basic ecology will know that, that there's not infinite energy out there for everyone to just consume. There's not infinite food. When you, when you have a system like this, somebody pays for it. And uh, we're reaching the breaking point now. Like we have so much spending in this country, you know, look, look at our inflation. What, what causes inflation? Well, it's, it's out of control spending. It's because we want to do whatever we want to do. So we just, we're going to get, we're going to give $6,000 to everyone. And we're not going to think that that does anything to the value of a dollar. We're not going to say just everyone has 6,000 more dollars and it has nothing to do. It's just, it's sort of a hidden tax. We, we spend is the way that we want to spend. And then that has an effect on the economy and it just runs away with itself. Well, it's the same thing with anything else. You can't just have unlimited resources for people that come across the country, particularly once you make it free and easy, all, you know, you're bussing people in because why not? They can buy they can buy a fifty dollar ticket or whatever it costs to come to America and they're here. How are they going to get taken care of? It sounds mean, but a lot of people are going to exploit that system. How do I know? Because a lot of people exploit every system. Every single system that exists, if someone can exploit it, they will, whether it's the refund policy at Target or whatever, pe- people will do that. And there's there's a very few scruples out there and pe- people tend to, to look at others in a positive light. And this is a good thing that they see the best in people, that they see they see people who are immigrating as, as they're like them. I mean, I just did that. I empathize with them. What would I do about my family who's coming over the border? But not everyone thinks the way that you do. Some people really do want to just have that handout. And it's almost inherently there for someone who wants a better life, that they're looking for something better, that they're not above taking charity. They'll take whatever. They'll take whatever's handed to them. I work with guys that uh, are not able to really take care of themselves. I work with people with with intellectual disabilities. And um, something that I've noticed among them is uh, just the guys I work with. I'm not going to speak universally, but they have gratitude problems. They're not grateful for anything. I can go out of my way to do something special for them, and it's nothing to them. I will like uh, I, I'll take uh, I'll, I'll I'll take them to it to Chick Fil A or something. I've done this before, and I, I'll buy them I'll buy them uh, buy them a, a sandwich and a lemonade just out of the kindness of my heart. I'm like this guy's had a hard life, you know his his family's destructive towards him. He'll never have a life like I'm gonna have. And what's Chick Fil A? And I give it to him and he eats it and he doesn't, he doesn't say thank you or anything, which I don't need a thank you. I, I'm doing a thing for a nice reason. I don't care. But it just, it suddenly occurred to me that they're just very used to being given things. They're very used to taking. And it's basic psychology. You know, if you feed the bears, the bears become dependent. So you have it, you have a dependent class that's, that feels nothing about, about taking, being given things. They don't have any incentive to work. It's ultimately why communism fails and socialism fails. So if you have people coming across the border and they're very used to just being taken care of, they have no incentive to at any point take care of themselves. It's, if you think about a friend, think about a, a friend who uh, uh, just can't fucking figure their life out. And no matter how much advice you give them, uh, they just they don't get any better. Sometimes people have to hit rock bottom. People have to fail. fail. People have to be hungry before they can learn the value of I'm going to go out and work for myself. And the, the thing that I just can never explain to anyone is that uh, there's so much value in being independent from the state, from being independent from anyone. Because anything that someone gives to you, they can take away. I learned that because my mom was a douche, okay? My, my mom used to try to make me very beholden to her for the things that she would do for me. And that's when I said, like, I, well, I don't, I don't need anything from you, mom. I became independent at a very young age for that reason. And I, and we, we, our, our whole culture, a lot of our young people particularly, they don't, they don't value that. They would rather be taken care of than take care of themselves. 
And that's a lot of the issue of what goes on with immigration. If someone comes up here and they want to work and they want to get a job and they want to bust their ass and they want to buy their license plates and buy a house and pay for the kids to go to school, if that's not illegal, then I don't care. Then I welcome them up here because they're basically what Americans are. Let's get you up here. Let's get you to take the test and whatever. It's not, it's not a racial issue. It's not, it's not any other kind of problem. I have a problem with sponges of all kinds from different places. If I could get rid of every American-born sponge and send them to Mexico in place for a hardworking Mexican so that we could make our country and our economy and our culture stronger, if I had the fascist power to do that, I would do that. I would get rid of sponges in my society. I would get rid of the right white trash in my society. I would send them away so that the, we could have a better society. I don't care where they come from. But, the United States of John. Yeah, that's that's the 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 insane <laughs> like John John writes a story of the perfect world I, that they would come from wherever. But human nature is universal. Human nature is exploitative. Human nature is inherently selfish, and that's why it'll never work. All right. I think that was the most philosophical and probably disappointing episode that I've ever produced, Jake. What else What, what else do you have to add before we close it out? Uh, well, I, I think we, we haven't fulfilled our edict here on a hard time. So I do I do have a joke to close us out. Uh, well, I, is it a it's got to be a poop joke? Is that what you mean? It, it must. It, it just has to be. Okay. But it, it don't worry, you don't have to participate at all. It's just a dung beetle walks into a bar and says, "Is this stool taken?" <sighs> you just <laughs> or, or can, we can can, go... I, can I ask you how you prepare for this? Like what what's <laughs> what what's the way that you go about preparing? It's it seems I... seems seems like what I'm saying is mean, but I but it's like you've always got something that's kind of germane or ready to go. I, I hate to well, ask that, this, but to like, do you have a list? That's like, part what? of the preparation process. No, well, I've even before becoming a father, I had a large number of uh, dad jokes because one um, not so dad joke uh, sent me to HR early on in my career because transferring from trades to law enforcement isn't always a very smooth transition. Um, there's the camaraderie similar with your workmates, but dealing with a bunch of you know, like you said, entitled uh, people and stuff is not is not very easy. So I have a large catalog of jokes over the course of my career. People send me jokes and uh, yes, I put them put them aside and then I have to kind of go through my catalog of what my recent jokes are to find something topical for you, John. There is a there is a process uh, behind it. I actually have have a backup joke that's, that's on a foreign country. So. There, there's almost some an, some animosity in that, like you, you don't appreciate what, I, like, you have a whole joke corner just because I appreciate. It. I just want to just remind you of that that I that I appreciate the jokes. I, I think I, I think the reason why I, I get activated is because like a lot of most of the time your jokes I just don't get it. I'm not smart. It's an opportunity for me to appear foolish at the end of the episode. And I guess I want to just remind you if I could put you on the spot. Like I have the entire episode to appear foolish. And I often take advantage of that. 